0: you turn it with me, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 3. We'll start you in John 3, 16. You've probably never heard that verse. Today, I'm going to take a few minutes and talk to you about Easter. The one day a year that we teach our kids to put all their eggs in one basket. You know what you call a bear with no teeth? Gummy bear. (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) Um, Sorry. Easter jokes. There are not very many good ones, so bear with me. Uh, But I was thinking this week how crazy it is, how much money we spend on candy and eggs and Easter gifts and special Easter outfits and Walmart's packed full of people buying all kind of like candy and eggs, and then I was thinking about the eggs that we hide. Y'all heard about money eggs? Y'all know, that's the thing. They hide eggs with money in them. And the kids are all, like, running past the candy, like, I don't want any candy anymore. I'm looking for money eggs. Forget hard, I mean, when I was a kid, we got, like, hard-boiled eggs with splatter paint on them. There wasn't even candy. That would have been a bonus, would have been, like, a piece of candy, right? That no they' they 're looking for money eggs now. Oh that one 's got twenty bucks in it that 's what i 'm looking for. When I was a kid we didn 't have money eggs. You know what else we didn 't have time out. We had time to knock you out. we didn 't have time out. Let me get back to let me get back over here to what we didn 't have when I was a kid. Uh, we didn 't have money eggs. It is crazy how much money we spend on Easter and and stuff. It's different nowadays. You know what else? I was thinking about that. When I was a kid, I could walk into a gas station with $1 and I could get two Mountain Dews, three Slim Jims, a full bag of pork rinds, a block of cheese, And three candy bars. But nowadays, they got cameras everywhere. (laughs) Sorry, Mom. What are we talking about? Easter. Thank you so much. The real story of Easter... It started on Good Friday, three days ago, what we know as Good Friday, but it was really probably the worst day of Jesus and his followers' life. It was the worst day they could imagine. Jesus went through the most torture imaginable and barely stayed alive, but we think of it as Good Friday. I say he barely stayed alive. He barely stayed alive until he didn't, until he died. It was the worst day ever. But now looking back, when we see the purpose, we call it Good Friday because it's the greatest day in history. It's the greatest day that we know because somebody died and paid a debt that we owed, a debt that we couldn't pay. Remember, Jesus went up on the the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane right before he died. He took the disciples up there, remember? And the Garden of Gethsemane is just a small... uh, it's, well, it's an olive garden. So we can say, Jesus took the disciples to Olive Garden that night. And he asked them to pray. And they all fell asleep. I guess it was because of so much pasta and bread and a lot of that at the Olive Garden. It made them all tired. And then Saturday, things were silent. Like nothing happened Saturday. And sometimes in life, it feels like that. Like something powerful happens and, or something bad happens. Something that seems like a tragedy happens and then it's silent. We don't hear from God. It's just silent. And then today we celebrate the resurrection because we know as Christians that Jesus came back. The disciples didn't know it yet. We're going to jump into the story and look a little bit at, at one of the disciples in particular that didn't know it yet, but first I want to read you John 3.16. Yeah, that's in the Bible. I know a lot of y'all thought Tim Tebow wrote that, but he didn't. This is in the Bible. John 3.16, this is the most popular Bible verse there is, according to Google. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved the world. He so loved me. He so loved you. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was the purpose. The Bible tells us that sin equals death. Sin is death. And by Jesus coming and paying the price, he brought us from death to life. Why? Why? it was all for love and I think the candy and the eggs and the new clothes and the celebrations with family and the Easter dinners and all that stuff is wonderful because it's all an expression of life it's an expression of love that we can enjoy life and family and each other Really, humans want two things. There's a longing to be loved. And we want someone to receive our love. We do. If, if people don't receive our love, we feel like, what's wrong with me? Am I broken? Why would they? Why? We want to be loved. We have a desperate longing and desire that's placed inside of us that we want to be loved. And we want somebody to receive our love. You know love will make a fool out of you. And the crazy thing is, you don't even care. When you're in love, and you, who cares if I look like a fool? No matter how old you get, the longing for love will keep you vulnerable. It will keep you like a little kid. I think if some aliens wrote the story of humanity. If they could step back and just look at the whole story of all the humans and all of mankind. I I believe that they could look at, at our brokenness. And that they could look at our craziness and even our violence and our disappointments and everything. And I think they would say that we just wanted to be loved. It was all for love. So the story of Jesus makes sense. Because the language of God is love. The Bible tells us that God is love. And that the language that he speaks is love. So the language of God is love and the highest form of love is sacrifice. Sacrifice. You know, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. If somebody tells you they love you and they don't give or sacrifice, they don't give you time, they don't give you, then I would question whether it's real love. The other way around is fine. You can give without loving. I give to Carol EMC every month and I do not love them. That's not, (laughs) you can give without loving. But you can't really love without giving. Love requires a sacrifice. For God so loved the world that He gave. The first response of love is to give, to be generous. It's to sacrifice. So what did Jesus do? He came and made the greatest sacrifice that mankind has ever seen, that we've ever known. The highest form of love is sacrifice. So John, that's the disciple that we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning. John was Jesus' best friend. We read through the Gospels, you can see that John was one that was always with him. It was, it was Peter, James, and John, or just John. Or John was the one that was laying his head over on Jesus' chest. And John was the one that he always refers to himself in the third party as the one that Jesus loved. In the books that he wrote, he writes that about himself. Seems a little conceited. I'm sure it was kind of annoying to the other disciples that were like, yeah, he loves everybody, but I'm the one that he loves the most. I'm his favorite. John was Jesus' best friend, the love guy. John talks all about love all throughout the books that he wrote in the Bible. I want to look at John 20, verse 1. John 20, verse 1. John's the one that wrote that. John three sixteen, the first verse we read too. For God so loved the world. But here in John 20, verse 1, Jesus has already died. And he rose from the dead. Like the plan worked, but they don't know it yet. The disciples don't know it. They don't believe. Even though he told them, they still don't believe it. The first day of the week cometh, it's Sunday morning, and Mary Magdalene, early, when it was yet dark, unto the tomb, and seeth a stone taken away from the tomb. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself, and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we not know where they have laid him. They stole his body. Because of course what he said isn't true. And he didn't raise from the dead. And we are going to make up something else. That what really happened. Peter therefore went forth. And that other disciple. And they came to the tomb. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. And came first to the tomb. Thank you for that piece of information, John. I'm glad that made it into the Bible. You wanted to make sure we all knew you outran Peter. Now, we all know that uh, Peter was the oldest of the disciples by a good bit. So Peter's the older guy, the bold guy that's willing to speak his mind. But apparently his cardio wasn't as good as John. So John wants to make sure we know that Jesus, he was the one that Jesus loved. And that his cardio was better than Peter's. He beat Peter there, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying. Yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the tomb, and seeth the linen clothes lying there. And the napkin that was about his head, not laying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the tomb and he saw and believed. John got there first. He was there. He was on the edge of power. He was... But he didn't cross that line of faith. He didn't believe that it was real. Fear stopped him outside the door. And Peter... Peter might have out, he might have got out ran, but as soon as he got there, he just barreled right on past him, boom, right on in. And then that gave John the faith to step in. He got there first, but he didn't believe until Peter ran in. Who are you surrounded with? Who are your close relationships? Fear stopped him. And how many of us have come so close to the empty tomb, so close to the power of resurrection, but have not entered in? We haven't experienced the life that he has for us. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you hadn't entered in. I pray that God will send a Peter just come barreling on through to show you what faith looks like. Come on in there's no fear in here. You know hindsight's 2020 and I was thinking about the fact that John wrote all of this, everything that we're reading today and these books and stuff. John wrote it looking back at what he couldn't see in the moment. So all of John's writing about love and all of John's writing about he John could see like looking back. I can look back at my hard times and things I've been through and I can see God. I can look back and remember God and I can point out love and I can point out what he's done and how I've grown and how And so John's looking back and he's writing down this account of everything that happened he said in, in John 13, 1, if you just turn back a couple pages, oops, turn back too many pages. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, It was time for him to die. He's just about to go to the cross. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. See, when John went back and he wrote this, he could see that through all of this, Jesus loved them to the end, through the cross and through washing their feet and through serving them and through walking around. And, and as John looked back on his friendship with Jesus and his life with Jesus and the resurrection and the crucifixion, and he wanted us to know that Jesus loved them unto the end. Hate has an expiration date. But love never ends. Love never dies. Love is more powerful than death. Look what John says later on in his life when he he gets a little older. 1 John 4, verse 7. John's always talking about love. 1 John 4, 7. John's an old man now. Scholars believe he's in his 80s by this point and he says beloved let us love one another let us love each other for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God and he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love in this was manifest the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Look what God did for us. If God loved us, we should love each other. Your people say, "Oh I can't believe they what they did to Jesus. I can't believe those Roman soldiers did that to Jesus. No, it's what we did. It was my sin. It was us, mankind. It was all us. You know it's hard to hate it's almost impossible to hate us. It's easy to hate them. We like to separate. Sin is divisive. The Holy Spirit brings unity. And so we like to separate us and them into different people groups and to different political parties and and because you can hate them You can keep love from them. But if you start turning everybody into us and realize that we're one and and that we're all brothers and sisters and even if we don't believe the same, I love you and, and Jesus died for you the same as he died for me. It changes things. Love conquered death. The power of resurrection is love. Remember Jesus said, forget all the law and all the commandments and stuff. Just let me sum it up. Here's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, look, if you love God and people, you're good. You're not going to... Break all these other laws. If you're really loving God and loving people, that's all you need. Every time I open my heart to love, every time I turn my heart towards God, I'm transformed from death to life. I see a transformation. I see resurrection power. Jude 1:21. Says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in or stay, dwell in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Why? Because in the love of God, that's the resurrection power. It's in that place that we will be transformed from death to life and that we can walk in the life that He has for us if we keep ourselves in His love. So let this Easter remind you stop making excuses. Oh, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I I can't reach God's standard or I've messed up too much or I've been through too much. Or... Hogwash. But you ain't heard that lately. <laughs> don't make excuses of how you can't reach God's standard. You know, the NBA has a standard height for their basketball goals. I think it's a little too high because I can't dunk. It's 10 feet, and I don't care where you go to play basketball. It's 10 feet tall because that's their standard. And I've tried really hard in my life, and now in my old age, I'm okay with the fact that I can't dunk, and I'll probably never dunk. That's all right, but for a long time I tried to reach that standard. I thought it was my shoes and do some calf workouts and stuff, and I just I never could reach it. And it's easy to look at other people and say like, "Well, y'all know Yao Ming?" Well, you probably don't know him personally, but the dude in the NBA, he's seven foot six inches tall. It's easier for him to reach the standard. He's a whole lot closer. You ever seen the slam dunk competitions? You're being judged on how well you meet the standard. If you can do it with some style. So you can do what we've done in the past, and that's you notice this nice basketball goal out here in front of the church. It's got a sweet little handle on the back. You know what you can do? Lower the standard. Put that baby at about eight feet high, and I can slam seven, whatever, <laughs> somewhere in there. I can slam and look pretty good doing it. We can all get out there and have us a nice big slam dunk stand contest, but it's because we lowered the standard, we lowered the goal. So how do we meet God's standard? A pure, holy, just God that hates sin and can't look at sin. Simple. God lowers the standard and we act like idiots and still meet it. No. Nope. We do enough good to outweigh the bad so if we sin a lot we do a lot of good you know i've been around people that think that i worked for people that think that without calling any names like if i really mess up then i really need to do a lot of good and i'm we're probably gonna need to go out and feed the homeless this week because i've really sinned and messed up a lot and man that's like drinking a diet coke and eating a snickers you don't even it out, good and bad. It's all part of the tree. The knowledge of good and evil. So that's not it. We don't have to do enough good. Everybody doesn't have to, but whoever wants to, can stand up and loosen out a little bit. And just jump and try to touch the ceiling. Let me say a few people. Okay, a few people jump. All right. The smart aleck up top, jumping off the balcony and touching. If we all stand up, every single one of us can stand up in this room and jump and try to touch the ceiling. And some of you can probably jump higher than me. And I guarantee you I can jump higher than some of you. Just... I think but none of us can jump up there 32 feet and hit the ceiling if that was the call or the standard none of us are going to make it or let me say it to you this way what if if me and Nathan were both supposed to catch a flight out of Atlanta later this afternoon and I was five minutes late and Nathan was five hours late which one of us missed the flight? Both of us. Really doesn't matter that I was there four hours and fifty-five minutes ahead of him. We both missed it. None of us can measure up. We look at other people and be like, oh, well, it's easier for him, or he hadn't been through what I've been through, or or you know what, he can he can be a minister because he's been in church his whole life, or he can but. It doesn't matter because none of us could make it. None of us can reach the standard. None of us could measure up. None of us could hit the rim. The Bible says all have sinned and come short. And God doesn't lower the standard. He sent Jesus to pay the price like a dad picking up a little 4-year-old kid and holding him up so he can slam dunk. God said, "Here, I'll do it here." Look. And he picks up the kid. Some of y'all were thinking it's over for you. Like you messed up too bad or you've gone too far or you were nowhere near God's standard. It's not even about that. It's not too late. You've not messed up too bad. I heard this guy telling this story about something that happened to him in seventh grade this past week, and he actually had to go to some counseling about it because it bothered him and messed him up so bad as a as a seventh grader. So y'all don't do this to anybody. But uh this poor kid was playing on the basketball team, and he got to start as a seventh grader as a point guard, and his job was to bring the Just pretty much, they wanted him to take the pass in and to dribble the ball down the court and pass it in to their big guys. But he was pretty good at dribbling. He was pretty quick. So he said they were playing a game, and it was an important game. It was an away game. So they were at the other team's home, right? And they were trying to win this game to make it to the playoffs. So it was really important. And it came down to the end of the game, and they were down by two points. One shot. And he said he knew time was almost out, and he was so nervous and freaking out, and everybody was screaming at him, and the eighth graders were putting so much pressure on him. And he went down to take the ball, and they're like, you got to get it down. we got to get a shot off. we got to get this thing in. And he goes down there. He takes the pass, and he said he turned around, and he started to dribble, and he knew they were almost out of time. And then he hears the crowd, the whole entire crowd. They said, three, two, and he knew I'm out of time. And he was almost a full court away. So as the crowd yells one, he throws up a shot as hard as he can in desperation and held his breath. And everybody watched as that shot flew up. Almost a full court shot because he had barely made it. He'd barely dribbled any before they got to one. Almost a full court shot. And it wasn't bad considering how far away it was for a seventh grader, but it didn't go in. It hit the backboard, bounced off the backboard, and one of the players on the other team caught it and started dribbling it around, and he's standing there going, What? What's going on? And he looks at the crowd, and they're all dying laughing at him. Everybody's laughing at him. He's like, What? You, you couldn't have made that shot. Nobody Who's going to make a full-court shot? And people in the crowd started pointing to him up at the scoreboard. He took a look at the scoreboard, and there was almost three minutes left in the game. They tricked him. By doing three, two, one, he wasn't out of time. But they made him think he was out of time. They made him think this is your last chance. Your shot of desperation. I think they ended up losing the game, but I'm not sure. Some of you thought it was your last chance. You thought it was over. But love and grace say... Take another shot. It's okay if you missed. Take another shot. It's okay if you got tricked. Keep playing. You're still in the game. Jesus rebounded that bad boy and threw it back to you and said, Put it up again. Go again. I already knew you were going to mess up. I already paid for it. Take another shot. That's grace, that's love, that's the power of resurrection. You can take another shot. You're not out of time. John said, perfect love cast out fear. Also, I think it's cool that uh, I couldn't figure this out. I, I've read that verse in, in Revelation. I didn't give it to them to turn to, but I think it's, uh, where is it? Revelation 20. Yeah, Revelation 21. Uh, And it's where John, he's an old man. And John lived to be the oldest of all the disciples. And all the other disciples died. Some of them got drugged behind horses in Egypt. And some of them got their heads chopped off. And they all got murdered. And every one of them died. And they wouldn't deny what they saw. They wouldn't deny the resurrection or the truth. They died for love. And John watched each one of his buddies, his close relationships, his ministry partners, his friends. He watched each one of them die. And he watched perfect love cast out all fear. And John, he got thrown on the Isle of Patmos after he was boiled in oil and it didn't kill him. And he was thrown out there writing these books. And there in Revelation, I never, I didn't understand why. He was talking about the new heaven and the new earth when God sets up his new kingdom here on earth and he brings a new heaven and a new earth. And John says, there will be no sea. Oh man, that stinks. Why would there be no ocean? A lot of the earth is ocean. Why when God sets up the new earth? I mean, God set it up the first time, He put a sea. Why would there be no sea? We know God likes water, we know the river of life, and the, so why would there be no sea? And then it hit me. Because when he wrote that, and that last part of his life and all this time, he was on the Isle of Patmos. His prison walls were the sea that kept him from everyone he loved and the relationships and from the ministry. The sea was his prison. There will be no more sea. There will be nothing else in between me and the ones I love. I'll be with them forever. Look at Psalms 103. Look what David said. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Not as far as the north is from the south. He said as far as the east is from the west. Now if He would have said as far as the north is from the south, God cast away your transgressions, well, then... You could go to the North Pole and that's how far that, or to the South Pole because there's a point of reference there, but the east to the west is infinity. There's no West Pole. They're gone. You're not a slave to your sin anymore. You've been brought from death to life. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. God said, I don't remember your sins. I choose not to remember the things that you did wrong. Hebrews 8, 12 says, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I won't remember it. God chooses not to remember them. He chooses to forget. You know, people can block out memories. And it's usually because of some hurt or trauma. or They can even block out whole sections of their lives, we humans, and act like it never happened. And it's kind of frustrating. If you were there and you know what happened and they blocked it out and they think it didn't happen, it happens to people that have been through extreme trauma or abuse. A lot of addicts deal with they've blocked things out from their past or people that have gone through stuff as a child have block it out. Psychologists will tell you that it's from extreme hurt, pain or trauma that's hard to deal with or that's out of their control. So as a kind of like self-preservation, Your body just blocks it out, makes you forget it like it never happened. So I was talking to this guy that that happened to him, that he had blocked something out in his past, this traumatic event that I don't have the liberty to share his traumatic event, but he had blocked this whole thing out of his life. And it had to do with a friend of his when they were in high school and in his mind, they had just grown apart and moved to different cities and he didn't remember this big thing that happened that caused them to not be friends anymore. And then he saw that person somewhere and he went up to him like, hey, and and that person like got all teary-eyed and started to cry and said, I'm so sorry for what happened back then. And he's like, Uh something happened. And he said, Dusty, I really did not. I really didn't remember. He said, and somebody else was there. And, and I, I talked to them and I talked to him and he told me. And it makes sense that I would have been really upset about that. And he said, I guess I just blacked it out. We are created in God's image. God chooses to just block stuff out, to forget our sin. That's an attribute of God, to preserve relationship and promote healing and forgiveness. God created us for relationship, to love and to be loved. And every time we choose sin, the price is death. And it hurt God. It grieved his heart we see in scripture so he forgets he chooses not to remember it and then he paid jesus it's like if i could just measure how much gas you're going to use for the whole rest of your life and then i go down to the gas station and i pay for all the gas then you can just go get gas whenever you want i don't have to keep paying for it over and over that's what god did with jesus He's not stuck on a timeline like us. When you mess up tomorrow, he already knew and paid for it. I heard this preacher saying, God'll give you a second chance, and when you mess up again, he'll give you a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance, and a sixth and yeah. True. Kind of. But I don't think he gives you a third and a fourth and a fifth, and a sixth, and a hundredth chance. It's a second chance every time because he forgot all them other ones. He chose to forget those. To him, it's fresh. His mercy renewed every morning. But if he just forgot about sin, Oh, it's okay. It's all right if you mess up. Y'all just be nice. He would fail to be God because God is just. And God said the price is death. Well, why would he even put that dumb tree in the garden? Why did he even put sin? Why did he even give Adam and Eve the opportunity to sin? Why didn't he just make it where we couldn't sin? That's was what I'd have done if I was God. because he didn't want a bunch of puppets he didn't put Pinocchio in the garden love is a choice if we have no choice then we don't really love he wanted us to choose love to choose to love him and choose to love each other we can't do that if we didn't have free will and we didn't have choice we'd just be puppets if so he'd just let the angels worship him And why would he create us so he gave us free will to choose even though he knew we would mess up he did it for love he still wanted relationship with us I'm going to close and we're going to we're going to take communion together but I want you to think before I call you down for communion Just think about if there are any areas in your life that are dead. Some dead areas on this Resurrection Sunday that you would like to see resurrected. A relationship, ministry, maybe it's your marriage, your passion, maybe it's your hope. Maybe your hope's dead, you just don't have any hope. Whatever it is, think about the areas in your life that are dead. There's this funny story. Well, I think it's funny. Um, It's in 2 Kings 13, 20. And uh, it's just, it's super short. The whole entire story is two verses. And it's this crazy, powerful, funny story. And it says... Elisha died and was buried. First of all, Elisha was like the most powerful prophet of the day. Took over for Elijah. Did twice as many miracles as Elijah. Like this, He's this big powerhouse. And then he does this thing where he tells the king to strike the arrows on the ground. And they do this big powerful thing. And then that's all we get. Verse 20. And Elisha died and was buried. The end. Now Moabite raiders... I guess the raiders were in Moab before they went to Oakland. The Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. And once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. Now, the Moabites were the enemies of the Israelites. So every spring they would come riding in and steal all the crops and like rob them and beat them up and stuff. So here comes the band of Moabite raiders right in the middle of the funeral And they're carrying their buddy to go bury him. And they look and say, oh, shoot, here comes the Moabite raiders. And look what they do. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. Man, we got to get rid of this body. What are we going to do? Oh, there's a tomb right there. Chunk him in there. So they tossed their buddy in the tomb. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life. And he stood up on his feet. And then... It just goes on. And, and then the king, he oppressed Israel for a while, and blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's all it gives us. I want to know what happened next. He just, he touched the bones, he popped up, and he walked out. Nobody was surprised about that. I don't know if his buddies got killed by the Moabite Raiders, and then he came walking out like, hey, man, what's going Whoa, Hey. I don't know. But they threw him in. And he touched the bones. Some of you are carrying some dead things. They were carrying their buddy and they thought they were about to have a funeral. They thought they needed to move on and I feel like some of you got some dead things you've been carrying around and you thought it was time to lay that down. My shot's over. Hey, this business failed. Hey, you know what? This marriage is done. Hey, you know what? That relationship, it's over. I'm done with it. It's time for me to bury this thing and move on. That's what you've been thinking. That's what they were thinking about their buddy. it's time to have a funeral it's time to move on I got a word for you today you didn't even know when you got up and came to church this morning that you were bringing that dead thing to the bones they didn't even know what they were doing they just chunked him in there Elisha was gone but the word the power was in the bones Jeremiah said your word is like fire shut up in my bones What can God do with some old bones? What can God do with a dead thing? A lot. Ask Ezekiel. God took him and set him into a valley full of dry, dead bones and said, Hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he gave the greatest answer I've ever heard. Only you know, Lord. I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe no. Only you know. And God said to him, then speak. Speak. Speak life to those bones. The word, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that creative breath that God breathed into Adam is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit that's inside of believers. You're a Christian. You believe that what Jesus did for you when he came back from the cross, the resurrection power put the Holy Spirit inside of you so that breath is on the inside of you. Resurrection power lives inside of you. It's powered by love. So you have the power to bring death to the bones. To bring resurrection. Every day. You know you can relive anything you want. As a human, you got an imagination and a mind and a brain. And you can sit there and relive anything you want. You can relive pain. You can relive hurt. You can relive trauma. You can relive death. You can relive why I don't like her. You can. Or you can relive purpose. You can relive hope. You can relive what God did for you. You can relive the words that he spoke over you. That's why Jesus said, remember me. Take communion, remember what I did, remember the sacrifice, remember how much I love you, remember how much dad paid for you to be part of the family. You can relive and remember anything you want, good or bad, positive or negative, pain or purpose. Is my faith real? I don't know. Does it change the way you live your life? What are we doing here this morning? Remembering, reenacting. We're about to take communion and reenact what Jesus did with the disciples. We're going to remember Him. This isn't the last time here where they threw their buddy's dead body in there and it it came back out alive. Jesus got put in a grave and he came back out alive. Why? The word was spoken. Now we have the Holy Spirit and we can take death to the bones every day. Jesus said about communion, This do in remembrance of me or remember me. So as you come today, I'm going to have a couple of uh, some people from the prayer team come up, and they're going to get the elements. Um, But as you come today, I want to do it a little bit different. You're going to take a piece of bread, and you're going to dip it in the cup. You're going to take it, and you can come with your family, or you can come as an individual if your family is the dead things that you don't want to walk down here with them whatever. I don't know where you're at right now. Um, But you can come down and if you want to, come and take a piece of bread and and you're going to dip it in. But we know that the blood covers sin. And as you take the bread, I want you to think about an area in your life that's dead. The bread represents the body of Christ. The body. So think about an area that's dead, the dead body. And as you dip it, you're taking it back to the bones. You're believing that resurrection power is enough. That love is enough. God's love working in and through you. The word on the street. Translation says Luke 17 like this. Jesus is with all the boys. He picks up a wine cup and he thanks his father for it. And he says, pass this around. Let's all drink from the same cup. And we got to drink from the same cup. There's no room for prejudice or division. Let's all drink from the same cup. It'll be my last till heaven on earth is more than just talk. Then he takes a bread loaf and he thanks his father again and he rips it into pieces and each of the team gets a chunk And he says, this bread symbolizes me and my body. It'll be ripped apart for you. I want you to reenact this as a memory trigger. Don't forget me. Jesus saying to the disciples, guys, this is so important. I want you to reenact this as a memory trigger. Don't forget me. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget what I'm about to do. You need to relive this moment often. To experience the love. Paul said, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do is forget the past. And I remember God. That's how you keep moving forward. They finish the meal and Jesus picks up the wine cup deep in thought. And he says, this wine cup is the new contract sealed with my blood. Blood that will hit the ground for you. So what do you have in your life that you want to see resurrected? What areas are not fully alive? When I believe God died, He sent His Son to die and pay the price for us so that we could live a full life, the abundant life that Jesus talked about, that we can be fully alive alive. And we can enjoy our family and we can enjoy pure love, we can enjoy God's love to us, but also God's love coming through us to other people. And that we can live life. And that we can love and hope and be healing and comfort to those in need. So what areas in your heart and in your mind need to be revived, need to see a transformation? I invite you to to come and partake of communion and thank God for the sacrifice that he made and and think about if there's any areas that you want to see some life come to. You can go ahead and come and then I'll pray and close it out. God, thank you. Thank you for this special day of celebration. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made for us. God, thank you for this life that we get to live. God, we want to be fully alive. We want to experience you and experience real love and to give real love. God, I thank you today for hope. I thank you for new life, fresh life in the areas that were dead. God, I thank you for a newfound courage to take another shot. It's not over. For somebody that thought time was up, it's not. God, thank you for making a way for us to be in relationship with you. We love you. Help us to be light and hope to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter.